Now extended through January 14th, join a clean and spacious Planet Fitness for zero enrollment and only $10 a month. With tons of equipment and free fitness training, it's the perfect place for everybody to work out. Even me, mister, I'm so stressed I grind my teeth more than most people grind coffee. Especially you. Give your anxiety-clenched jaw a rest. My molars will be so happy. Start feeling spectacular today. Join in club or at planetfitness.com. Zero enrollment, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends January 14th. See club for details. I want to continue our series on pursuing the presence of the Lord. And I was just thinking, the first message, I actually opened it up with the fact that I, I told this story. I said, when I was in Australia one day, I was driving down the, the road, and I saw this van. And on the side of the van... It was, uh, it was printed on the side of the, it said, creating a sustainable environment. And when I saw that, it was just like the Holy Spirit quickened that to me. He said, you know, that's what I want to do. I want my people to learn how to abide in me, to create a sustainable environment. An environment of what? The atmosphere of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus told us to pray that, and he wasn't just referring to when he returns, when the kingdom comes in the fullness, the new Jerusalem, and so on. He wasn't just referring to that because elsewhere in the New Testament, he was clear that we are to go and we're to preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 10, verse 7, for example. And when we say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what we are actually proclaiming is that the kingdom of heaven is here. It's available. It's, you just reach out. It's there. So the kingdom is here. So the kingdom is not just something, um, you know, that we, we refer to in terms of it being uh, eschatological. It, it's an apocalyptic end days type of thing. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. We live in the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus said must be preached as a witness to all the nations of the world. And then the end will come. So the kingdom is here, and we have to believe in the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom. So when we understand the kingdom, what we're trying to do is really what we need to be doing is bringing the presence and the power of Jesus into our situations, into our lives, into our churches, into our homes, into our cities, and even our nations. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is, bringing What Jesus said, the fulfillment of his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't it interesting that when you read that passage of scripture in Matthew 6, and often we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. The Lord prayed it, but he was teaching us how to pray. In fact, he said, in this manner, ought you to pray. Now, there's part of that where it actually says, forgive us our sins. Now, if it was a Lord's Prayer, he doesn't need his sins forgiven. So it's very clearly, we do. And so ultimately, that is an, it, it's for us, guys. We're the ones that are to extract the principles inherent in that passage of Scripture and apply it to our lives. Amen? All right, I'm preaching better already than your amen and me. You guys can get warm. I know it's a bit cold out there today. Okay, you're getting warmed up, all right? Okay, how many are alive? Stir up a passion, right? Stir it up, Lord. Great, great uh, worship team. Awesome job, guys. Stir up a passion in me. A passion. Consuming fire, right? That's what it's all about. Let that consuming fire uh, burn up the coronavirus. Everything that we carry. Yeah, guys. 
God has power. Nothing is impossible. I'm not afraid. His glory, his anointing, his presence is with me. I just need to make sure that I stay tanked up. I, you know, that my tank is filled up. So, so really important. So changing, bringing that atmosphere of heaven to earth. Okay, I was thinking this morning about the story of this crippled man who was begging at the gate called Beautiful outside of the temple. It's recorded in the third chapter of the book of Acts. And the Bible specifically tells us that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. Now, think about that. When this miracle happened, when they saw this man begging for alms, and they said, look, silver and gold have we done. We don't have any silver and gold, but such as we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Peter grabs his hand, pulls up, says, arise up and walk, and he's instantly healed. That reminds me, you know, I've seen that happen, and it reminds me of, of the times when I've seen God actually do that. And and in faith, we prayed for people that were crippled, and they got up and walked. I remember preaching in uh, Toronto one time several years ago, and there was a lady who was visiting from Saskatchewan. She was in Toronto at a conference, a uh, work-related business conference, and she got invited to the church where we were ministering. And what ended up happening, she came in, she had a, she had a walker, and, and she was in bad shape. She would have been in a car accident about 12 years previous. On a good day, she could use a walker. On a good day. So she was in bad shape. In fact, she stayed in a hotel, and directly across the street was the venue for the conference, and she had to call a taxi just to take her across the seat, the street. That's how bad it was. So she comes in. We minister, we pray at the end, and we invite people to come forward for ministry, and we just laid hands on her. And the next thing I know, she starts running back and forth. Now, I didn't realize, I didn't know at that time that she was, you know, incapacitated that way. I had no idea. So she ended up saying, hey, do you see anything different about me? And, And I honestly didn't know. And I said, no, what's different? He goes, I haven't been able to do this. I've hardly been able to walk for 12 years. And she was instantly healed, completely healed. And she pulled out her cell phone and called her son, who's a youth pastor in the United States, and told him what had happened to her. So it was an amazing miracle. People were excited. And just like with this story of this um, man who was healed, this beggar who was healed at the gate, beautiful, it says when the people saw him jump up and, and start to, you know, shout and dance and praise God, that the people were amazed with what happened. And so people began to realize what occurred and they were excited. And, and you know, the, the amazing thing is the, that day, that was Sunday afternoon, she does what, you know, it's interesting because the church we were at was, was close to Toronto. And whenever people come there, what does everybody want to do when they go to Ontario? Niagara Falls, okay? So Niagara Falls. There's so many people. Like I've been to Niagara Falls like 3,000 times, really. And it's like, hey, Glenn, I'm going to come. I'm visiting from Europe. I'm coming. You know, can we go to Niagara Falls? I'm like, again, really? Like, I could honestly be a tour guide. So, so the truth is she wanted to go to Niagara Falls, walk around. So she spent Sunday afternoon, several hours, walking around Niagara Falls. The next day, she ends up, when she wakes up, she goes, oh, my gosh. I lost my healing. I can't walk. I can't get up. I'm in so much pain. And so we 
oh, we were like, oh, come on. No way, devil. In the name of Jesus, we bind this. We speak. And so, and she realizes it wasn't anything to do with her losing her healing. She had been basically in a wheelchair for 12 years. And she got up and spent like three hours walking around using muscles that she had never used. And, and so on. And so she was just in pain. Okay. So the next, the, the next few days later, she recovered from the pain. She's completely healed. And, and no, there was nothing else. It never occurred again. And that was several years ago. But here's what I want to mention about this story in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were not coming from a gathering, a prayer gathering. They were on their way to a prayer gathering. The point I'm trying to make is some of us, we'd say like, okay, I can pray for you, but let's go, let's pray, let's, let's get into the presence of God. And after we pray for a few hours, maybe I need to fast and pray for three days, then I will, you know, you can come, come visit my office or come to our church, whatever, I'll lay hands and pray for you. And I, I understand there's a time for that, but I want you to understand, please, that the early church lived in a place of power and authority. It's important to pray. It's important that we are intentional about connecting with the Lord and spending that time. Jesus did. But we don't have to live in a place where we don't have what it takes. We have what we need for any given situation at any given time because we stay in a place of intimate communion with God. We live in that place. The Bible is very, very clear that we are called to live in that place of intimacy, of, of, of communion with the Lord himself. And I mention, and I use the illustration of the Olympic shooter who fired and missed the mark completely. He, he, he hit, he was a bullseye, but it was the wrong target, right? So he went from a gold medal potentially to eighth place because he hit a bullseye but the wrong target. He was shooting at the wrong target. And I said, listen to me. A lot of us, that's what we've been doing. The church, by and large, we've been shooting at the wrong target. What we, what we focus on, what we preach, what we teach, what we even go after in our prayer time often is the provision and the promises of God at the expense of not knowing and experiencing his presence and his person. Listen to me. There's nowhere in the Bible where we're told to seek after stuff. In fact, in John 6, Jesus said, I'm sorry, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, the pagans, the unbelievers, seek after the stuff. They seek after the cars. They seek after the jobs. They seek after the, the financial things. They seek after the temporal blessings. They seek after the stuff, the material things, the provisions. Jesus said, pagans do that. Unbelievers do that. But you, you are children of God. That should not be the way you operate. You should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you do that, all you need will be provided. All these things will be added unto you. So throughout the Bible, we are enjoined frequently to seek after God. To seek after his face. Not his hand. Not what he can give us but to seek after the very person of God, to cultivate a relationship with him. In fact, Jesus said, this is eternal life, 
that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you. It's the Greek word genosko, which means to know intimately, personally, and experientially. This is eternal life. That when you die, you'll go to heaven. That all your sins are forgiven. Certainly it includes those things, but eternal life is this. Knowing the true God in Jesus Christ. Knowing God. The Old Testament, the word is yada. It's the same idea. Knowing intimately. The first time that yada is used in the Bible is in Genesis 4, where Adam knew Eve. And as a result of Adam knowing Eve, a child was born. We get the point. What does the word know mean in the New Testament? It has nothing to do with intellectual uh, assent. It has nothing to do with, with academia, of knowing even doctrine. I mentioned the Pharisees. In John's Gospel, the fifth chapter, Jesus said they diligently studied the Scriptures. They memorized the entire Old Testament. Memorized. And then he said, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. They knew the Word of God, but they didn't know the God of the Word. We're called to a place of relationship with God. We're called to live in Him. And he in us. We're called to live in his presence at all times. The Bible is clear about that. Right now, when you look at our world, you know, and, it, and it's always been this way ever since the fall. There have been two kingdoms in conflict. Two superpowers, so to speak. I'm not talking about the United States versus Russia or the United States versus China. These are not the superpowers that I'm alluding to. I'm talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And one of the key verses in the scripture that highlights this is found in Isaiah chapter 60. The first two verses. Where the Lord says to Israel in their day, and it has obviously a prophetic application to us today. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen over you. So what he's doing is he's saying, look around. There's darkness. In fact, he says, this darkness will cover the earth, and gross darkness or deep darkness will cover the people. The idea of that word cover, it literally means like a lowering ceiling or a lowering sky. And the idea is of an, of, of an oppression in which the darkness is, just keeps pressing in on us and pressing in on us. And you, you can go to certain places in the world and it's more pronounced than others. It's like you go into certain places and it's like, oh my gosh, it is so dark here. I feel the darkness in this city. And that means that the presence of the enemy is very strong. He's having his way. Those who are spiritual, those who walk in the spirit, discern these things. They're, they're sensitive to these things. But then you can go to other places and it's just like, wow, the presence of the Lord is here. You know, and again, I'm not just talking about where we are and where we gather even. I'm talking about even cities where there's something different, where there's something 
different. Why? Because the enemy has an agenda. The enemy has a plan. What is his plan? That darkness would cover the earth and deep darkness the people. That's what his intention is. That's what he wants to do. I think he's successful in many places of the world right now. I think you can see that darkness operating in people, individuals even. You can see that they're oppressed. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went around doing good because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That word oppressed has the same meaning, oppressed. So there's a sense in which the darkness is prevailing. You know, the Bible says in the last days that there would be evil times. There would be clearly evil times. In 2 Timothy chapter Three, verses 1 through 5, it speaks about those evil days and those evil times. It says there will be perilous times. People will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God, and so on and so forth. In, in the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of the things that it says in verse number 5 is it says that they will... Listen to this. This is a New Living Translation. Timothy, in the last days, there will be very difficult times... People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. That's happening today, especially in Vancouver. We posted some Facebook posts recently and advertised a little bit, and all the comments we get from the scoffers, the mockers, the atheists, the God-haters, they just pop up. Thank God that I have the power, we have the power to ban them, to block them. Right? We pray for them, but we ban them, we block them, and we bind that spirit in Jesus' name. Listen, it says, it says, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, uh-oh, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now listen to this, verse 5. Isn't this interesting? Listen to this. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, Paul says. Come on now, Paul is saying stay away from religious people. And what do we mean by quote-unquote religious We're talking about, because I understand the word religion is used in James in a positive way. So, but here, the word is those who have, as one translation says, a form of godliness. A facade, a semblance of godliness. But they deny, or the word deny means they contradict by the way they live, the way they talk, the way they act. They contradict the very profession of their faith. Their lifestyle doesn't back it up, in other words. Okay? So they deny the power that could make them godly. So, again, what is he saying here in 2 Timothy 3, 5 in the NLT? They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will act religious. They'll go to church. Maybe they'll praise God. But they will reject the power... The power of the Holy Spirit that can make them godly. There's no change. There's no transformation. It doesn't just mean that they're cessationists or they're anti-charismatic or anti-Pentecostal. That's not what he's talking about. 
Back in those days, there was no such thing as a cessationist. A cessationist is a person that believes the gifts of the Spirit aren't uh, active, that they died out in the first century or whatever. Now, the point here is he's not talking about that. Anybody who professed to be a follower of Jesus at that time believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. There weren't any denominations. There weren't these doctrinal disparities. Well, we don't believe in speaking in tongues, and we don't believe in healing, and we don't... You know, that wasn't happening in that day. He's talking about the power that results in a person's life being transformed and changed by the gospel. They go to church, but they're not changing. They're the same. They're not any different than they were a year ago. In fact, some people are even worse. The power is there, right? But we got to connect to the power source. we got to plug in to the power source. So what is that? He says this, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And then again, the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. We've got to access the glory. We've got to go after the glory. We have to arise, number one, and we have to shine. We have to tap into the power source. Then we have to let our light so shine before men that they may glorify, they may see our works and glorify our Father in heaven. What does that mean? It means basically then when we really allow the glory and the presence of God to shine through our lives, people will see our good works. They'll see how we love people. They'll see how, how we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. They'll know the presence and the anointing of God in our lives. And then they'll say, you aren't that good. That must be God. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't that good. <laughs> All right. Oh, now, turn to your other neighbor and say, Jesus is God. And Jesus is good. Come on. Christ in me. Christ in you. So the good works point to the Father. They point to the good, good Father. The loving God. The all-powerful God. So, arise, shine. Missing the mark, traditional Christianity has focused, particularly in the 20th century and even in the 21st century, has focused on filling church buildings with people. The Father's deep desire, his desire from all along, is to fill each one of us entirely with the fullness of himself, his glory and power. See, there are many places on the earth where the kingdom of God is not making an impact on the darkness As I said, it's because we're not focusing on being filled with the glory. We're called to carry his glory. We're called to be filled with his glory. There's so many scriptures that I could refer to. Let me just pull up just a couple of scriptures here. First of all, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For as the waters, this is a new living, for as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. So the devil wants to cover the earth with darkness, deep darkness, the peoples. But what does God want to do? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Not just cover it. Fill it. And what does that mean? With an awareness. The the new King James says, with the knowledge of the glory. We're talking about, again, experiential knowledge here. With an experiential knowledge so that people experience the glory. The New Living says that there's an awareness of his glory. There's an awareness. We can say to people, the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. And they're like, where? 
Really? What, what planet are you on? Like I see a lot of evil. I see a lot of terrible things going on in the earth. Because the kingdom has not yet come and invaded that realm, that territory, in the lives of those people, in, in cities and nations and territories and so forth. So what do we do? We have to learn how to be filled with the fullness of him. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Kingdom means king's dominion. For every, the Bible says this, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the what? The glory, right? So every time you'll read about kingdom, you'll always see that it's connected to power and glory. Okay? A king has power and he has glory. So there's kingdom, power, and glory. And so what we're doing is we're, we talk about, it says actually in Second Thessalonians that God has called us, maybe it's First Thessalonians 2.12, that God has called us, 2.14, somewhere around there, that God has called us into his kingdom, into his power, into his glory. That's what he's called us into. We're called into that. We're called to live in that place, that I know his power, I know his glory, because I'm in his kingdom. And my king is ruling and reigning because I'm submitted to my king. I'm under authority. And because I'm submitted to his authority, I have authority. This is a New Testament principle that only those who are under authority have authority. And I'm not just talking about the delegated authority like people that are in authority, such as government and, and, and others. But I'm talking about God's direct authority first and foremost. Are we submitted to Jesus? Are we under his lordship? You see, Jesus said, in that day, in other words, when I return, when people stand before me, there will be many people who will say, Lord, Lord, we healed the sick. We cast out demons. We did all this stuff. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Janosko, I never knew you. I didn't have a personal, intimate relationship with you. Depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. I didn't have a relationship with you. You lived a life of, of lawlessness, of sin, rebellion. You had a secret life. You had a lifestyle maybe that other people didn't even know about, but yet you preached, you healed. You called forth the word of God into situations and God used, God used you in spite of yourself. But ultimately, when you stand before God one day, it is possible, according to the scripture, that such a person will never even enter into the kingdom. Depart from me, I never knew you. And he actually speaks about that person going into eternal darkness, into the lake of fire. Terrible. Why? Because... What God is looking for is relationship. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be aware, be aware to experience the knowledge of his glory, who he is. The Bible tells us, contrary to what many people have taught, that the New Testament isn't the time or the place where the gospel of the kingdom was first heralded. You know, some people will say, well, John the Baptist preached the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Yes, he did. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Yes, he did. But do you understand that God's original intention for his children from the very beginning was that we would be 
when, we, when Adam and Eve were created, he gave them a kingdom. We know he gave them, he created them in his image and likeness, and he gave them dominion over everything. But the Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 34, depart from me, right, to the goats. But those who are the sheep enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation or some translations say the creation of the world. The kingdom was prepared from the foundation or the creation of the world. Enter into what was prepared for you. So this is it. God wants us to live in his presence. He wants us to know him personally, to experience him. He wants you to have an encounter with him. And people say, I walk by faith, not by sight. Listen to me. I, people say this, listen to me. Let, let me rephrase that. Let me, let me rewind that and delete it. The Bible says, a lot of people, if you ask people, what's the opposite of faith? Most Christians will say, fear. Wrong answer. The opposite of faith is walking by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight, Paul said. In Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. The Amplified says, faith is the assurance. It's the confidence. Faith is the perception or, or the realization of those things that are not seen, that they really are eternal and real. So we're called not to walk by sight, by our senses, what we can see, feel, touch, etc., but by the Spirit. In fact, the Bible speaks, particularly in the book of Jude, there's a verse where it says, there are those who cause division among you. They don't have the Spirit. They are sensual. What is he saying? They cause divisions. They don't have the Spirit. They're sensual. What does that mean? They don't walk by the Spirit. They walk by their senses. A sensual person is a person that walks by what they can see. This makes, oh, this is the way it should happen. This is, this is what I perceive is reality. But they're not seeing things from the eternal perspective. Now, there are many people that we, we look at this in the Bible, you know, when, when, when um, Lazarus died, for example. People said, he's dead. Leave him alone. Nothing can be done. Jesus said, he's not dead. He's sleeping. He's having a nap. Leave the guy alone. Like, he's going to wake up. What? How did Jesus know that? Because he said, I only do those things I see my father doing. John 5, 19. I only do those things I see my father doing. I only say those things I hear my father speaking. That's how he lived. So we're called to a place where we walk in the spirit, not by sight, not by the way things look in the natural. It's hopeless. It's lost. There's no way it's going to get any better. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. It'll change because I say so. 
because I see it's my Father's will. Jesus didn't heal every person who, who was sick on the earth when he was there. We already alluded to the person, the man, the beggar at the gate, beautiful. He was healed uh, in the days of the apostles, and evidently he was there. The Bible says for many, many years he was sick, and he begged at this gate called Beautiful at the temple. And, and Jesus probably walked by him all many, many times. But Jesus didn't respond to human need per se. He only did those things he saw his father doing. His father said, okay, Jesus, that one's for Peter and John, so leave that one alone. But everyone who came to him, he healed and everyone that his father showed him, he healed. I have a way to go still get better. It's not used as, as an excuse for not seeing miracles. But this is the point. There's an awareness of the glory. There's an awareness of the eternal realm. There's a sense in which we see things in the spirit realm. And we begin to understand things from the spirit realm. And then what ends up happening is God actually causes us individually and corporately, collectively, his church, his body, to be the residents of his glory, his spirit on the earth. Right? We talked about that already. Many, many places in the New Testament. Ephesians 2 verse 22 talks about how we've been called to become the dwelling place or the habitation of God. With the habitation of God. I love this verse, Ephesians 1.23. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified and then the Message. Ephesians 1.23, part B, that says, The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure. The full measure. There's a slide for this. The full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Wow. The message, Ephesians 1.23. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Think about it. Do you know the ultimate purpose of the Lord through salvation was to restore everything under his lordship so that the earth... Every person would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That what was lost in the garden would be restored. They walked in intimacy with the Father in the garden. They were crowned with glory. They had power and authority. It was perfect. So that that is restored. So the church is his body. Ephesians 3.19 says that you would be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God. That you may have the richest measure... Listen to this, that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly or entirely filled and flooded with God himself. How do we experience this? This is the hour in which we live in. This is the time and the season for us to move into a place where we experience who God is. We experience him in his fullness and we manifest him. You see, I'll close with this. If you guys on the worship team could come forward, please. Let me close with this. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, 
The Bible says he created them in his image and likeness, correct? All right. So the word image means to, is to selam in Greek, selam. In Hebrew, sorry. <clears throat> the word likeness is demuth in Hebrew. Why am I telling you all that? Because I know you want to know the words. No, I'm uh, just kidding. Some of you do. But the point is this. Why am I telling you this? Because these words mean completely different. They have a complete different meanings. Okay? Image and likeness. Is that just kind of being you know, superfluous? Is that like just saying the same thing twice? No, it's not. It's actually very intentional that God uses two words that have completely different meanings. First of all, image, okay, means it's a verb. It's an action word in Hebrew. And it literally means to shine forth, to radiate. Oh, we always saw this, didn't we? Arise, shine, for your light has come. So I want you, I've made you to shine forth what? My demuth, my likeness. Who I am. I've created you not only to know me, but to shine forth to reveal who I am to others. So when Jesus said, as the son of man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, when you see me, you've seen the father. The whole point of Ephesians is that the church becomes uh, the, the people of God, the habitation of God on the earth to reveal God to a lost and dying world. We become the habitation of his splendor. We become the ones who carry and display and reveal his glory. I'm going to get into this in deeper level because you're going to see, we will see if you don't already know this, that the way we experience this and we walk into this, so when people look at us and go, wow, there's something different about you. There's something different about you, you know? Like, not only you are nice, you're patient, you're kind, but there's something like otherworldly about you. What do I mean by that? Otherworldly. You know when Jesus said, unless you're born again, right? You cannot see the kingdom. Then he talks about being born literally from above is what he said. That word in Greek is anothen. And that word in Greek means from another place, from another realm, from another world. You're born from another world, another place. Our citizenship is not here. We're not to seek the things on earth. We're to seek those things that are above, where we are seated in heavenly places, the right hand of God. So we're born from above. So we are otherworldly. We're not just nice people, right? What did Moses say? What would distinguish us from all the other people on the earth if your presence doesn't go with us. It's not our doctrine. It's not our morals. It's not how awesome our worship team is or or how well our pastor preaches or whatever. That doesn't distinguish anything. God isn't looking to raise up a few people to be effective. He wants to raise up his body to carry his glory, right? And so what we're going to be doing here and what we're going to be um, is equipping you to carry his glory, to carry his presence wherever you go. Like, first of all, when you're full of his glory, it's pretty hard to have a bad day. Okay? It's like, whatever, I'm full of God's glory. Okay? Like, really, devil, that's the best you can do, coronavirus? I got the glory, man. I mean, come on. Right? 
The hills melt as wax at the glory or the presence of the Lord. Peter's shadow drove out demons and healed the sick. What? Yeah, it's in Acts chapter 5. It's there. Read it. Why? It's totally otherworldly. Otherworldly. We're not called to be worldly, but we are called to be otherworldly. Isn't that awesome? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to just close in prayer. Here's the interesting thing. You know, like, I remember there was a time when Smith Wigglesworth went to Australia. And, you know, he was a great man who healed people. And the um, leaders in the city leaders said, you're not allowed to lay your hands on people or touch people. Kind of like coronavirus days, right? And he was like, oh, God, I'm going to do this anyway. I don't care what they say. And, and the Lord spoke to him and said, you don't need to do it. Speak my word. Just speak my word. See, Jesus didn't lay his hands on everyone. He spoke the word times, whatever. So we are here this morning in the very presence of Almighty God. And what is holding us back from experiencing all the power that he has, all the glory and the fullness of what he has, is just our sense of shifting into that understanding that we are called to pursue his presence. We're called to pursue his spirit. We're called to move into the spirit realm. You know what I love? As I've traveled around the world and I've preached in many, many places in many nations, the greatest miracles I've seen have been among aboriginal people. In Africa, they're very spiritual. In Australia, when we were ministering there, the miracles we saw among aboriginal people. Why? They're spiritual. They're spiritually minded. Okay? See, what holds us back is this. Our reason, our rationale. Why? We walk by sight, not by faith. We rationalize, we reason, we live in a material world. And we don't, we live literally in the domain of darkness. Sorry for putting it that way. Because the domain of darkness is all about what we can see, feel, and touch. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, is what is unseen to the natural. And we walk by faith. We walk in the spirit. We move into that realm. And so everybody around us is panicking and, and buying toilet paper, right? Like, come on, how much toilet paper can you use in a 14-day quarantine, really? I mean, if you got that much problem, you need to go to a doctor. You probably should have been to a doctor a long time ago. <laughs> but the point, the point I'm trying to make is what? Would people panic? They don't know. It's like, you think I'm like, I don't care. Like, I really don't care. I'm not even, I don't care. I got, a, I got a little bit of food in the house and finally got some paper towels. <laughs> got it at regular price, too. It was awesome. So, but the point is, you know, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And this ain't nothing. Come on. What could happen? God forbid. This is nothing. So, we're going to have to learn a way of live by faith. Manifest his glory. Manifest his presence. Get into his presence. Seek him. Know him. Live in the spirit. Be open to spiritual things. Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I seek after you. Next session, I'll talk about the key to move yourself into the spirit realm. Okay? Which I plan on doing today, but 
I got two messages out of this. All right, let's lift our hands. Guys in the worship team, you just play in the background, please. Let's lift our hands. Come on. Just say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. You are God. And I welcome your presence, Lord. I welcome your presence in my life. Come on. Welcome him right now. You coming to bed, hon? Yep. Honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow. Ow. Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.